Um, so you guys, you guys up for a test this morning? What kind of a test? Uh, this, is, this test is going to um, determine uh, your pop culture reference ability, okay? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the first part of a quote, and I need you to finish it. And I need you to finish it with gusto and bonus points if you, if you can do an accent. And you have to determine what the accent is if you know the quote, okay? You guys ready? Yeah? All right, here it is. <clears throat> Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. Yes, a couple of you know it. Yes, Who's, who has seen Cool Runnings 1993 classic of my childhood? Okay, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up, it's bobsled time. Okay, I have been fighting the urge to say that every single week of this series because every time I think, hey, rhythms, I'm like, feel the rhythm. And then there, there goes my brain down that rabbit hole because that's how things are in here. It's a scary place to be. But I figured it's the last week of the series, so we would go ahead and, and you know, just get that out there. Now everybody feels better. Um, but hey, yeah, let's, uh, let's recap real quick and move into what we're talking about today. It is the last week of the series. We've been talking about rhythms, uh, and specifically rhythms in our faith life. That rhythms are something that are they're predictable, they're repeatable, there's a pattern to them. Uh, they, they move us along. And there are actually things that we can do as it relates to our faith that moves our faith along, that helps our faith to grow, that helps us to become the people that God has actually uh, designed us to be and what he's moving us towards. Now, certainly there are a lot of things in life that are out of our control, that will grow our faith, circumstances, where we find ourselves, and, uh, and what God just does you know, through his spirit in us. Like We can't control those things, but there are things where we can put into our life that these things help, and these are the rhythms that we're talking about. And so we talked the first week about, hey, let's create some rhythms to just connect with God on a personal level, talking about let's, let's, let's be in the scripture, let's spend time in prayer, let's have some, like, like get, gather for worship or worship sessions in your car, whatever that looks like. If you're a person that uh, enjoys nature, get out and connect with God and his creation, those kind of, uh, of, of rhythms. And we talked about creating rhythms to use your gifts. You have a gift, I have a gift, we all have different gifts and experiences and passions and things that we bring to the table that God has given us. We can actually use those things regularly in our life. It grows our faith. Uh, We experience God not only working in us, but working through us. Last week, I think we talked about, I know we talked about it, but I think it was maybe the scariest, most uncomfortable one, and that is to begin to create rhythms in your life to share your story. If Jesus has done, is doing something in your life, you have a story to share. You have something to to, to tell the world. And when we share our story about the work of Jesus in us, uh, not only does that uh, grow our faith, but it it helps to grow the faith of the people around us. We're going to wrap things up today with one final rhythm. uh, And that rhythm uh, is talking about the importance of all of you and talking about the importance of me, uh, this idea that we need to create rhythms to spend time with other people. That as it relates to our faith, we actually need one another. We, we need community. Like the, the, the Christian faith is a communal thing. It is a one another thing. If we want our faith to grow, if we want to become the people that God wants us to be, like there is, there is a you that God is calling you towards. He's created you and designed you and wired you and he's calling you into something to be uh, transformed through his spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, if we want to move towards that thing, it's not something that we do on our own. 
that the Christianity was never meant to be a Lone Ranger kind of thing. It's just me and Jesus. Um, in fact, if, if you were to, to drop the, uh, the first century followers of Jesus or the apostles into what often becomes the American church or American Christianity, they would be like, what is this? Like that kind of individualistic, I don't need you. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. There's a lot of other things they'd be like, what is this? But that's a different message. Uh, but there's like, no, 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 no. We, we need each other. And that idea that we need each other for our faith to grow, that faith is a communal thing, um, and God's designed it that way because that's also how we as human beings just, just function. We are social creatures. And some of you are like, no, 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 I'm not a social creature. I don't like people at all. But even if you're like not a people person uh, or you're not, you wouldn't call yourself like an extrovert, you, you'd rather not be in crowds of people, I get that that's some of you. It's a different world for me because I'm just like, people, yay. But you still have your people, right? There's maybe, there's that person, there's a handful of people, there's your close friends or your family. You still have a few people. It's like, yeah, those are my people. We were made that way. That, that, is, that is in the, kind of the nature of who we are as human beings. Um, that, that from a faith perspective, that's true. And when we open up the pages of scripture, we see that humans are actually designed for relationship. Uh, we see on uh, the very first page that humans are made in God's image, and God himself is a community. The, 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 one of the core Christian beliefs is that we believe that our God is, he is one God, but exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And from eternity past to eternity future, God has been in a love relationship with himself between Father, Son, and Spirit. There's been this community of love. And so when the, the, the um, Apostle John, when he writes that God is love, it's like, well, yeah, love requires that kind of community. And so we are made in his image, made to experience those kind of communities of love as well. And we also see on the very first and second pages of scripture that one of the first issues that we bump into as humanity isn't actually sin that comes on the next page, but it's loneliness. God creates the first person. He's like, whoa, whoa, hold up. It's not good for the man to be alone. We're made for one another. We need each other. And that's a, that's a faith position in, in Christianity, but that's also something that increasingly... Uh, our culture recognizes as well. Science begins to show this in psychology and cultural polls, and when we look around, we discover that, yeah, actually, we do need one another. One particular article that I stumbled across in researching for this message talks about the, the scientific aspect of this. This was an article from the National Institutes of Health, the September 2021 edition. Um, I'm just going to read some of these, these pieces here. The, the opening paragraph said, do birds of a feather really flock together? The science says yes. People do tend to choose friends who are similar to them, but you also become more like your friends over time, and that can influence your health. And so not only is it important that we have people, but who we are today is largely a result of who, have, who has been in our life, and who you will be tomorrow will largely be a result of who you have around you. They continue on, and they, they say that um, the positive and negative peer influences how many of you thought you were going to hear a message about peer pressure? You're like, not since like school, okay? But that's what we're talking about, okay? Positive and negative peer influences can affect more than just your behavior. They can also change the way you feel. Studies show that in general, the more friends you have and the more time you spend with them, the happier you are. Friends give you people to, to share your feelings with, to get new perspectives from, or to just do fun activities with. 
And so it's like, hey, the more friends you have, the more time that you spend with them, the better off you're going to be. Like science backs us up. We know this from scripture as well, that we need people in our life. Um, And while we know that's true, we are increasingly connected in our culture. We're more connected than we've ever been, but we're also lonelier than we've ever been. There is an epidemic of loneliness in our culture right now. People feel alone. People feel isolated. It's like, well, we need people, but, and that's what they're going to get into next, it's not the quality, it's, it's the quality of those, of those friendships, not the quantity that really makes the difference. It's not just a matter of being connected to a bunch of people, but what does the nature of that relationship look like? It's the quality of that connection. Going on, they say that quality of friendship has been linked to higher life satisfaction and better mental health. High quality friendships provide understanding, support, and validation of your self-worth. These types of friendships are more stable and more satisfying. Spending time with friends can be especially helpful for people with anxiety or depression. Again, one of the, the big issues of our time is just the mental, str- the mental health struggle that so many are dealing with. And they say that friends are a big part of that. And it says, again, it's about quality of friends because they go on with this warning and say, however, studies have shown that depression can also be worsened by certain friendship qualities. And one particular one they mention is called co-rumination. Co-rumination, they say, is basically when people get together to talk excessively about everything that's going wrong and how bad they feel. And I'm like, man, they've been spending time on the internet. Because it's just like, I mean, in real life, but in the internet too, like there's just this culture of here's how terrible everything is. I can't get a good job. I don't like my job. And I don't like my house. I don't like these things. And my life is terrible. And then someone comes along and says, oh my goodness, your life is terrible? My life is terrible too. Let's talk about how terrible our lives are together. And then this thing just forms where we're giving this feedback loop of it's bad and it's bad. And I know it's so bad. And it's like, whoa, 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 that, that doesn't help. In fact, it, it actually begins, begins to hurt. It says, with that person, they feel understood, they feel validated, and this person is emotionally close to them, but they get more depressed because they're focusing their attention on negative things. So finally, they conclude with this, noticing that our behavior is influenced by other people. We can be intentional and try to focus on the people who are doing the things that we want to get into ourselves. And so what is the article saying, essentially? Hey, the friends that you have, the people that you surround yourself with, not just quantity, although you need some friends, but the quality of those friendships will have a massive impact on your life. That you need people in your corner. You need the right people in your corner uh, for you to become the person um, that God would want you to be. Now, I love seeing articles and things like this um, in in different areas and different topics. Uh, Whenever something comes along, and it just confirms what scripture has been saying for like thousands of years. You know, they'll be like, hey, a new study shows, new research, new polling data. There's this thing that we know about humanity. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like the one who has made us has actually revealed himself to us and revealed, here's what you're supposed to be as a human. And here's what will lead to your flourishing. And here's what's best for you. And, and, and as much as we try to push against that and be like, nah, we know better. God's ways always end up standing in the end. And so when we begin to think about this area of friendships and relationships, yeah, we've got scientific data and psychology and polling and the cultural kind of feeling of things that that show us the importance of this. And then you open up the pages of scripture and you read things like this in Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. A companion of fools will suffer harm. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. A companion of fools will suffer harm. The one who walks, the implication being that there is a, a direction that we are moving in. 
As you think about life, this, this picture of walking is this picture of life. You think about the direction that you are going in. You are going to go in one direction or another. And as you evaluate kind of people around you, he says, well, you should walk with the wise. That, that we, we look around and say, I, I, I see someone. I see what direction you're heading in. I see maybe you're a season of life ahead of me. And I see what your life looks like. And, and I would like that for myself someday. Or you seem to be on the right path. We have a common destination. And so I want to walk with the wise. I want to walk with the wise. And conversely, on the, on the other side, a companion of fools will suffer harm. That there's some people that maybe we look around at and go, I, I don't want my life to look like that. You're not heading in the same direction that I want to be heading in. And, and it's not necessarily, sometimes it is, it's not that certain people are just, just bad and you should avoid them, but we just look and go, I don't think I want that for my life. That, that doesn't seem good. That doesn't seem like God's best. That doesn't seem like the direction I should be heading in. When we think about who we are now, who we want to become, where we think God is calling us, do the people around us move us closer to that, that, that goal or further away from it? You know, I would do a little thought experiment and you think to, you know, the end of your life, the, the last days and you've, you've reached what, you're, what, what, what the end of your days looks like before Jesus takes you home and you think about every area of your life and the person that, that you would want to be as you look ahead and so say, this is the person that I want to be. Here's the kind of friend I wanted to be. Here's the kind of career I wanted to have. Here's the kind of husband I wanted to be, wife I wanted to be, mom or dad I wanted to be. Here's the integrity I wanted to have. This is the reputation I wanted to have. And we think where that ends up and now I rewind back to where I am now. Do I have people in my life that move me closer to that or further away from that, that are moving me towards what God wants for my life. Having the right people in your life matters, that we end up becoming more and more like the people around us. Uh, this is a verse that has always stuck with me over the years, uh, especially back in the day of doing student ministry full-time. This was an idea that we would come to over and over again, and, and I would read in different books and hear different pastors who would put their own spin on this or their own way of kind of like pithy little statements that would help you to remember this. Um, one pastor, Andy Stanley, has uh, summarize it saying that your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Proverbs 13, 20, in kind of modern terms, your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Another pastor, Craig Rochelle, summarizes it this way. He says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's just this thing. It's like, yep, we become more like the people around us for the better or worse. And this is, this is why uh, if you have been a parent or you are a parent, why you get so concerned about, who are my kids hanging around with? Uh, and if you, know, if, you know, if you are a student in the room and you're like, yeah, why do my parents care so much about who I hang around? This, this is why. It's not because they want to be all up in your business. It's because they have your future in mind. Our friends really do determine where we end up and the kind of life that we, we have. Certainly, there are other influences as well, but the people around us matter. And so we need to begin to ask, what does it look like to walk with the wise? What are the kind of uh, qualities that I should be looking for in terms of who do I spend my time with? Who is shaping me? I think as a follower of Jesus, there are some non-negotiables that we're going to look at. Uh, but even if you're here and you're not sure about faith or you're watching online, like, I, I don't know, I'm not really a Christian, um, I would challenge you to take this, uh, take this advice and maybe just try applying it. Just try doing it. Because I'm going to encourage you to spend some time with people who are pursuing God. And there's all kinds of really interesting studies that, that show if you are a part of a religious community, even if you don't necessarily believe all of it yet, it's actually good for your health. Like physical, mental, emotional health gets better when you are part of a community of faith. So let's look at that this morning. We're going to spend the majority of our time or the rest of our time in Acts chapter 2. Um, the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. 
And Acts is kind of a, a historical journal of what is going on in the early church. So after Jesus dies on the cross for, uh, for my sin, for yours, for the sin of the world, so we can be forgiven and be right with God, he raises from the dead and he ascends into heaven. He's given his, his, uh, his people, this thing we call the church, the assignment of saying, hey, go tell everyone now. You are witnesses of this. You're witnesses of my life, death, and resurrection. Now go tell people. And so Acts records their going and telling of people and how this thing called the church uh, is birthed. Early on in Acts chapter 2, we see this really get off the ground. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit of God comes at Pentecost, and so God's presence is there with the people, empowering the people. Peter stands up and preaches the, the first kind of gospel sermon, and so the good news goes out, the good news again that Jesus, about his life, death, and resurrection, what that means for us, forgiveness and new life that we can have. And then out of the declaration of the gospel and the presence of God's spirit with them, a new kind of community is formed. New kinds of relationships and life together. And here we're gonna look at some things that define that community. So Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I think one of the most radical things in terms of our culture today compared to theirs at the time is this idea, and it's going to come up twice over the course of the next couple of verses, that the, uh, the apostles and the, and the followers of Jesus, they were devoted. Uh, like devotion is this thing that says, I am in this no matter what. Like come hell or high water, for better or worse, whatever we're facing, we are in this together. There is a level of devotion that says, you're not getting rid of me, even if you want to. I am in this with you and we are in this together and we are pursuing Jesus together. They devoted themselves. Now, one of the things that makes this so difficult, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the blessing and the curse that we end up facing in so many things in life. The blessing and the curse of modern life is that we have all of the options and so many incredible things at our fingertips and in such ease of life, which is great. But one of the things that suffers then is our level of devotion. Because if I don't like something, I'll just move on to the next one. I, I don't really like this, this, this food, great. It's, it's fine, I'll just, I'll just door dash it, right? We'll get some Uber Eats going. And we, can, we have a plethora of, decision, of, of options of what we can eat. I don't like what I'm watching. Ah, that's fine. I don't have to be committed to it. Let me find the next series to stream. Back in my day, okay, you had to be devoted to your TV show, so devoted that you sat through commercials. It's the perfect opportunity to go and get snacks and you run back to make sure you didn't miss it. That was devotion, baby. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. Like there's just, e even relationally, it's a lot easier to give up on relationships, whether those be friendships, whether those be romantic relationships, that we live at a time where it's just easy to say, you know what, on to the next, on to the next. There's increasing studies that show that younger generations, millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha coming behind them, they don't even, we don't even know how to have relationships because we don't do this thing called talking in person. We don't, we don't, we don't know what it means to suffer through something together. And so it's like, well, eh, whatever onto a new friend, onto a new group of people, onto a new romantic relationship. Let me just swipe on to the next person and next week it'll be a different person. And there's just, this idea of being devoted is lacking. It's just too easy to quit things. I can remember <laughs> playing um, a couple of sporting things as a kid and this did not happen very often. I did not like sports as a kid whatsoever. Uh, later on, eighth grade, I began playing football and basketball and loved it. But as, as a grade schooler, I hated it. And there were two things that I did because it was like, I came from like kind of a sports family. My dad coached stuff. I had cousins who played stuff. I'm like, okay, I should do this. And I did this like two or three day baseball clinic and it was awful. I hated it. I was nervous going every day. And one year in fourth grade, I'm like, I'm going to play football. 
moment of brag, a little humble brag, the 1998 Bantam League Bicentennial Park Pittsburgh Steelers 6-0. and You can never take that away from me, <laughs> all right? Never, never. Um, but one of the things that, that, that happened was I hated it. And I would go to practice every day, and like mom would walk me to practice, and I would almost feel physically ill uh, before practice. I'm like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. But I wasn't allowed to quit <laughs> because, by golly, you started it, and you're going to, to finish it. And then, hence, oh, maybe, maybe that's what's wrong with me. I've just, thank you for listening. I've just discovered that, that that issue from my past. But again, it's just a different time. And so one of the things that we can do as a church and as followers of Jesus in our world today that might be most radical compared to anybody else around us is to just say, you know what, we're devoted. We're committed to our faith. We're committed to Jesus. We're committed to one another, even when it's hard, even when it's inconvenient, even when I don't want to, we are in this together. So they were devoted that wasn't even the main point of this verse that I'm getting at. Uh, they were devoted to, to, to the things that they are devoted to. Is He, he lists like the apostles' teaching to fellowship um, and, and to prayer. And so the apostles' teaching would be uh, the, the, the teaching of the Old Testament. That was the only scripture that they had. But also the apostles are the ones who are the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. And so they would get up and be like, hey, here's what Jesus did. Here's what he said. We were there. We saw it. We witnessed his death. We witnessed his resurrection. And they would begin to teach uh, the words of God, the ways of God, the things of God. The things that we now today, we have the apostles' teaching recorded for us in what we would call the New Testament. And so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and also this thing called fellowship uh, and, and kind of spinning off the fellowship idea is the breaking of bread. And so they were together in their faith. They were loving each other in their faith. They were getting together. Breaking of bread meant they were in a home sharing meals together. So it was this hospitality. And it also would refer to what we're going to do here in just a few minutes of, of taking communion together. And then also prayer. And so we see this level of devotion uh, in the first century church and the things that they are devoted to was it was a community that was built on the things of God. We want to know God together. We want to lean in. We want to know who he is and what he has for his life and what his word says. We're going to pray together. We're going to hear the teaching together. We're going to break bread together. They were devoted to the things of God. Luke continues and, and tells us that everyone uh, was filled with awe at the, and, and at the many signs and wonders that were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed to the proceeds as any had need. They were together, or sometimes it says of one accord. It means of, of unity, of purpose. And, and it says that, that all of them were together. They had all things in common and they were selling everything and distributing it to any who had need. This is radical stuff, one of the most radical things of the, of the first century church. And it's just like, what? Are you, you, you want me to sell everything? Um, you know, sometimes it's, 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 a, it's a joke, it's a joke, but sometimes you're like, this is the most socialist verse in the entire Bible. And it's like, yeah, it kind of is, because it's like, let's just sell everything. You get some and I get some. And it just turned into Oprah, apparently. Everybody gets stuff. Um, but, but, but here's the idea. It wasn't, hey, you gotta, to come into the church, you've got to take a vow of, of poverty and give up everything that you have and just get rid of it. In fact, the, the verb tense that is used in their selling things is a continual verb. It means they were continuing to do this. It wasn't, I sold everything and now I have nothing. It was, and, and the key is there at the end, any who had need. Whenever a need came up, they're like, we got it. We'll find a way to make it happen. Any who had need. In fact, we, we see that they were still meeting in, in people's homes in different places, meaning people didn't just sell all their houses off. They still had homes to meet in. But if it was, hey, you know, you, you're, you're struggling right now. We got, I've got an extra field. Let me sell that field and we'll, we'll make that 
make ends meet for you. Hey, you don't have somewhere to stay right now? Great, come be a part of, of my family. You need a meal? Great, come be a part of my family. Come sit at my table. And it wasn't just a suffering through of, oh, gosh, I guess we'll invite you over for an hour or so and then you can leave. But a, no, full-on integration, you are now part of our family because we are a part of a bigger family. So what's mine is yours, Right? If there's need, we're going to meet it. We see a community that is built upon serving and meeting needs. Physical needs, uh, but then also emotional, relational needs. This idea of being invited into someone's home was this radical act of hospitality to sit and to share a meal with someone in that culture. It meant, I'm, I'm identifying with you. I'm associating with you. You are part of my family. They were all together. They had all things in common. They sold stuff. They, they met needs. Verse 46 says that every day they devoted themselves. There's that idea again. Every single day they were devoted. We are in this together. We are committed to one another. We are committed to Jesus every day, not just a Sunday thing. They met together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It's the, the, the radical nature of this kind of community that looked out for each other, that loved each other, led to more people coming into the Christian community. One of the most attractive things, uh, uh, the most attractive thing about the early church community was not what they believed. Compared to the rest of the culture, they believed some really weird stuff. And they're like, what? That's crazy. But what drew people to the, the Christian church was their love for each other, was the way that, that they welcomed people in and they met needs. Uh, the, the, in the early days of the church, the first century, the church was flocked to by women and children and slaves and the poor people, people who the rest of society said, get out of here. We don't want you. You're not worth anything. The church said, come on in. We've got you covered. And, and they became a part of this community. And so the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. But also, what else was happening daily? As, as they're at the temple, as they're in homes, their life embodied a life that was praising God. Everything about what they did, it brought glory to God. It brought honor to God. It pointed to his goodness. This was a community of people based on worship. We are together for one purpose, and that is to bring glory to our king who has saved us. So the, the, the church that we see being launched here was a very simple gathering compared to what we have now. Uh, it, it was just a group of people who were like, all right, we're going to meet wherever we can. We're going to meet whenever we can. And we're going to have this one united uh, kind of, of purpose. I'm going to choose some people to share a life with, and we are going to be devoted to Jesus. We're going to be devoted to one another. We are in this thing together. The scripture kind of talks about these three things or these three categories, I think, of things that they devoted themselves to. I think as we start talking about we need people in our lives who are going to push us towards the light that God has for us, they are going to push us towards our faith growing, I think there's three things that we should be looking for that we can learn from uh, these verses in Acts chapter 2. So as we create rhythms to spend time with people, we want to create rhythms to spend time with people who devote themselves to God's word. Like the early church would gather for the apostles' teaching and they would gather for prayer and they would gather for the fellowship, we want to surround ourselves with people who speak the words of God into our life, who push us towards God's words and God's ways in our life, who say, hey, this is, this is what's real. This is who you are. This is who God says you are. This is what he says about you. Hey, let's be in this together. Let's study this together. Let's pursue Jesus together. Let's pray for one another. And so as we think about where we spend most of our time and the folks that we have in our life and 
how we're being shaped by them? Do we have people in our life who are devoted to the words and the ways of God? Do you have someone in your life who says, you know what, that person, those people, that group right there, they help me to know and to love God deeper. I know Jesus better because of him. I know Jesus better because of, of her. My faith has grown because of that person. I understand the scriptures better because of these people. Do we have that voice in our life or those voices? We also want to create rhythms to spend time with people who serve those in need. The most radical thing about the early church, uh, the thing that, that set them apart was this radical hospitality of meeting needs. I mean, seriously, like I said, from women and children and slaves and poor, this radical hospitality. So there's a need, there is someone at risk, there is someone who is, who's being left out, there is someone who is hurting. We will be the ones to go, to, to go in and, and to love them and to care for them. It just stuff that was so out of the ordinary in the first century Roman culture. In first century Roman culture, they had this practice, it was called exposure, of exposing babies. And so if you would have a, a, a baby, a child that you did not want, and usually these were female, little, like child, like children, little girls, they're like, well, we don't want a little girl. And so the Romans would leave them out exposed to the elements. You take your baby, leave them at the edge of the woods, leave them by a river, leave them down at the garbage dump, and it, you would say, well, the fates will decide what happens to that child. And sometimes they would be eaten by wild animals. Sometimes they would die. Sometimes they would be uh, brought in by, by human, like human traffickers, people who were selling slaves. But it was the Christians who came in who said, they're made in God's image. We will take them in and adopt them as our own. And we will, and this was a, just these, these are the kind of things that the church was known for. These are the kind of things that the community came along and said, our community will be based on this. Do you have the kind of people in your life who push you towards that kind of self-sacrificial love? The kind of people around us that, who push us to be selfless, who, uh, who act as a voice, a counter voice to everything in culture that says, no, be selfish. Look out for you first. Buy that new thing, get that upgrade bigger, better, newer. It's just, you worked for it, you earned it. And it's not that having things is wrong. Again, it's not, it's not about taking a vow of poverty, but do we have people in our life who say, what is, what is ultimately more important? Are, are, is, is it about you or is it about the people around you? Do you have those voices in your life who, who push you in that direction, who you are serving with that force us to get our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances and onto others? Create rhythms, finally, to spend time with people who focus on praising God. That's what they did. Every single day, they were praising God in the temple courts and in their home, everything about their life. As we begin to think about that, sometimes it's easy to think about praise or worship as the part of our service that comes before and after the message. It's the musical portion. It's a, it's a genre of music. It's my, my Jesus jam session in the car. Uh, and those things are good. Those things are fine. But we have to remember that praise and worship, it's the very life that we live. Praise is, uh, is our attitude towards people. Praise is the way we lift others up. Praise is us being generous. Praise is us having integrity. Praise is us being grateful. Praise is, is everything about us. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he says, hey, no matter what you, whatever you do, anything you do, whether eating or drinking or whatever it is, do it all to the glory of God. Do we have people around us who say, you know what, the, 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 the top aim of my life is to bring glory to God. You want to do that with me? Let's bring glory to God together. Do we have people that move us in that direction? We're creating rhythms to spend time with people who ultimately move us towards Jesus, towards who he has created us to be and who he is transforming us to be. We need those kind of relationships in our life. And it's, it's those kind of relationships that push us 
towards God's best for us. I mean, maybe you're, you're thinking, I, I, I believe that God's, God has something for me that's better. Then you need people to move you towards that. Maybe you have a hard time believing that God has something for you that's better. I would just encourage you to, to stick around, to keep pressing in, because God does have something for you that's better. And one of the things that's going to move you towards that is having people in your life to spur you on, to move you in that direction. But here's what I know about those kind of relationships. They don't happen accidentally. You don't just stumble into, oh my goodness, I've got people around me who are devoted to to God's words and who serve those in need and whose lives are praising God. I would imagine, and, and there will be some exceptions to this, but I would imagine that the majority of people that you encounter on a daily basis, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, people that you live next to, the people that you encounter on the internet, the majority of them are not going to be people who are moving you closer to God. And as I said at the beginning, it's not that they're necessarily bad or evil people, but there is a path that leads towards what God has and a path that leads away. And finding the people that move us towards what God wants for us, it takes effort. We don't just fall into that. Sometimes we don't even have that for some of you in your own homes or the people who are closest to you. Not only do they not move you towards God, they may actually like push against that and say, why do you believe that? Why do you go to church? Why do you do those things? And so it is so important that we have voices that are louder in our lives. That says, no, Jesus loves you and he has something better for you and he wants to transform you and he has died for you and he's risen from the dead. We remind ourselves of these truths. And so how are we intentionally uh, making an effort to do that? It's probably not going to be any shock that I'm going to say this, but the primary place that you get those kind of voices in your life is in the church. Um, And that's, I don't know why God chose to do it that way, but that's how he chose to do it. To say, hey, you're going to follow Jesus, and you're going to do it with these other people, and you're, you're going to bother each other sometimes, and you're going to do this sometimes, and it's going to be awkward sometimes, but every step of the way, sometimes the awkwardness in the relationships or the clashing of personalities those are going to be the things that he uses to actually grow our faith and to humble us and to humble one another. But these things happen within the context of a faith community. And that doesn't necessarily mean, hey, just coming and sitting in church, Sunday church attendance is great. But if you're going to come and be in church, make an effort before service, after service, spend five minutes talking to someone. Allow someone to get to know you. Maybe that looks like joining a serving team. Again, we want to, we want to be serving those who are in need and we serve people together relationships form. And you'll get one of these cool new shirts. Okay, just saying. New swag today if you're uh, one of our, on one of our HC volunteer teams. Maybe that looks like joining a community group. And we got groups that meet during the week in people's living rooms where it's like, hey, we're, we're, we're talking, we're praying together, we're sharing a meal together. But somewhere along the way, whether it's, it's through Sunday church attendance and it's joining a team or it's uh, you know, joining a community group, it's some combination of the three, it's different things in different seasons, where are you getting those voices into your life? And you gotta fight for it. You gotta be like the early church, you gotta be devoted to it. You gotta, you gotta take the time in the early, the early stages to push past the awkward. Because uh, for some people, being around people, it's, it's like, oh, I just can't, I can't do this. It's, it's, honestly, even for me, I like people. I am way more comfortable, and you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm way more comfortable doing this with all of you than like having a one-on-one conversation. I'm like, I don't want to talk to people as individuals. I'll talk to a crowd. But you just got to push past the, the awkward. I, I can remember, I, I've been in several community groups throughout the years, and some of my closest friends have come through a community group. But there's one particular 
particular couple, not naming any names, Jimmy and Chelsea Henry. <clears throat> Sorry, did I say that out loud? Oh, I didn't realize I was mic'd. <laughs> that for the first six months of our community group, I swear they didn't speak a word. We had maybe 10 words total. I'm like, this is, this is a disaster. It's weird. It's tense. It's awkward. And now, I don't know how many years later, they're some of my best friends. And I can't imagine my life without them. When you push past the awkward, God does good things. You push past the awkward, you push past the interpersonal stuff because you're, you're going to realize, and sometimes this comes as a shock to us, we are all very different. And some of our, some of our personality types do this. <laughs> but we humble ourselves and we work through those things and God grows us through it. So let's be devoted. Let's be devoted to one another as we create rhythms to spend time with people who are going to move us towards God's best for us.